you, Lord, um, for telling us when we're way off, when we're wrong, when we're awry, when we're mistaken, when we're off the path, when we're lost. You're so faithful to say to us, And bring us back, Lord. As your word says, when the righteous strike me, it is a kindness to me. When they rebuke me, it's oil to my head. And Lord, would you do that with us? Would you do it with me by your word? Would you do a great work here? today, Lord, and it starts with, uh, it starts with that song we finished with, Lord. If I don't recognize I need you, I'll never receive from you. Father, I pray you strip away every bit of self-sufficiency of pride from every person in this room. That every one of us would understand we not only need you, we desperately need you. And Lord, you are so willing to meet that need. It is your pleasure to do so, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Can one of you good men bring me up a watch or a clock or... Something like that to prevent me from going way over and the kids in the nursery going crazy. So Jesus here, a few days from... Thank you. Okay. It's one of those watches you have to look at. How do I read this thing? Uh... Jesus is a few days from being crucified here. And he has several groups that want to rid him, get rid of him. Why? The same reason people have been trying to get rid of Jesus for 2,000 years. It's just amusing. If you're a history major, like I was actually, if you're interested in history, just... Every generation, there's someone who says that this Christianity thing is, uh, we're not going to be hearing anything more of it within 50 or 60 years. It's just, and, and it's like they're not reading their history to read that someone was saying that 100 years before. There's always been 2,000 years people have been trying to get rid of Jesus. there's some of you here this morning, maybe you haven't been trying to get rid of him, but you've been keeping him at a distance, at a safe distance, and leaving him there. And that's what it's been like for a long time in your life. 
Why do you do that? Why do these, why do these groups do that? Why are they doing that here at, at the time of, um, um, that these words were written here in Mark 12? Because they wanted to stay in control of their lives. You want to stay in control of your life. That's why you're keeping Jesus as a di at a distance, at a safe distance. You can be in church as we'll learn more as we study these passages and keep Jesus at a safe distance. You can be in church for years and do that. There were three different religious groups that wanted to get rid of Jesus under normal conditions. These religious groups hated each other. But they wanted to see Jesus gone. They wanted control of their lives. They want to give up control. They want to control of their communities. So they sort of get together. We saw the first two groups coming to Jesus last week. The Herodians. People who were close to King Herod. A group of Jews who were Dedicated first to getting political power and then a distant second. Yeah, there was God. That group's very common today in Christianity. The second group was coming against Jesus. They were Pharisees, strict religious fundamentalists who were loaded up with the law and really, really, really light on love. They too are prevalent today in Christianity. The third group who we read about this morning are the Sadducees. The Sadducees were a very wealthy class of Jews, very highly educated, very powerful. The Jewish high priests were commonly Sadducees. They had a corner. They owned basically the business in the, in the temple where they were selling lambs and doves for sacrifices, uh, changing money. They were the ones making all the money or getting really wealthy off of it. It was controlled by them. Last Sunday morning, so we saw these, um, the first two groups, again, the Herodians and the, uh, the Pharisees coming to Jesus, trying to trick him with a question, hoping they would answer him in such a way, uh, uh, hoping he would answer them in such a way as to get him in trouble with the Roman authorities. They failed. Instead, verse 17 says, they left marveling at him. Amazed. Is this guy for real? Astonished at his wisdom, but their love of staying in control of their life. Will keep them plotting to get rid of Jesus. Again, this has been true for 2,000 years. It's true for many in the world to do, some, some of you this morning. Though you marvel at Jesus, though you're amazed at him, though you admire him, talk about him, even quote him, or even pray to him, you don't want to give him that complete control. You want to keep him at a safe distance. I pray that today is the final day 
for that for you. All of us were in that place. Every single one of us in that room were in that place at one time. I certainly was. But such a wasted exercise. And exhausting, by the way, keeping Jesus at a safe distance. And still come to church. Our verses this morning are about, again, the group, the third group, the Sadducees. Let's read it again. Verse 18, read it with me here. Then some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him. So they didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in an afterlife. When you listen to college, a college professor, whoever, uh, mocking the idea of an afterlife, believe me, I was, had these guy, kind of guys before me. It's always like, you're an idiot if you believe this. Don't you know that progressive thinking, you don't believe in silly stuff like that. But it's not progressive. It's been around for t- not only 2,000 years, even much before that. People thinking they're smarter than God and denying the obvious. They did not believe in the resurrection. They believed when you died, that is, they just believed no heaven, no, no hell, no judgment, no nothing. Now, Calvary Chapel, as I mentioned, uh, the Sadducees, very wealthy for among other reasons, they controlled all that business in the temple. Recall from our study from about a month ago, Jesus coming into the temple right after he got into Jerusalem. Uh, he, uh, it says that he drove out, physically drove out, the sellers in the temple, those who were selling the, the, the lambs for sacrifice, the, the, the doves. Um, and he overturned the tables of the money changers. And what did he declare? Someone want to shout it out? What did he declare? That's right. He said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. These Sadducees were the thieves. <laughs> They had become fabulously wealthy by ripping people off. And when you make a lot of money week after week after week by ripping people off, particularly poor people, the thought of an afterlife is very inconvenient. (laughs) The thought of a judgment when you die is, is not a happy thought. And so what we do, we develop a belief system based upon what our happy thoughts are, what we want to believe. What we really, really want to believe. Uh, and, and, and so, uh, there, we, every single one of us, I, I, me included, certainly, me, uh, more than, as well as uh, most, probably more than anyone, uh, we have a little Sadducee inside of us, as well as a little Pharisee and a Herodian, by the way, but a little Sadducee that is tempted uh, to reject the truth because we really don't want to believe it. I really don't want to believe that my grandmother and grandfather, who I loved very much, spent a lot of time with, they had a lot of money. They looked a lot like Sadducees. They completely, they died rejecting Jesus, mocking even my grandmother. I, 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 I don't like saying things like this, but she was a mocker of Jesus Christ. Old Massachusetts wealth, hundreds of years. A Sadducee. I I don't want to believe 
that she's not in heaven. But I, uh, but, but I can't make up a belief system that, uh, to just to align that belief system with what I want. And, and that's the Sadducee in all of us. We're all tempted to do it, Calvary Chapel. Don't do it. Don't do it. I, you know, I, I must base, you must base um, whatever you believe on, on what God says in the Bible. Of course, initially, you've got to figure out whether you believe the Bible, and that's a good process to go through. Not to just blindly accept it. Look at it. Study it. Is this really true? God, is this true? But once, once it's there, once, once the Lord does the work in your heart, don't base what you believe on what you want to believe. That's what the Sadducees were doing. They've been ripping everyone off, even poor people. They don't want there to be a, an afterlife and a judgment. And so um, um, in verses 19 through 23, they just come up with a crazy story. Just foolish. They're so smart. This is what happens to people. They're so smart, they're stupid. And, 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 and that's what happens here in verse 19. Um, it says, uh, they go, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and dying he left no offspring, meaning he had no kids. And the second took her, and he died, nor did he leave any offspring. And the third likewise. So the seven had her and left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died. Also, therefore, in the resurrection, Jesus. When they rise, whose wife will she be? They wanted him to look like a fool. So the multitudes would leave him. Whose wife would he be? For all seven had her as a wife. So in Old Testament law, Deuteronomy 25 those of you who are with us um, on, on, who are with us on Tuesday night, we're going chapter by chapter through the Bible. We were in this chapter, Deuteronomy, my favorite book in the Old Testament, fabulous book. It has some odd little things there of, of the Jewish law. weren't odd at the time at all. It was perfect for them. The law was that it, it required that if a Jewish married man died without a child, his brother had to marry his wife. I'm glad, you know, you know, I am glad that Jesus fulfilled all that, all the Old Testament uh, law and, and we're not bound by these things anymore. But this was the law. It wasn't an absolute requirement, but close to it. The, the Sadducees, so they come up with a story which almost certainly never happened. They, they just come up with it to try to, again, justify what they want to believe. They don't want to believe there's going to be a judgment in an afterlife. They don't want to believe that. And they also want to turn the multitudes away from Jesus. The book of Matthew, by the way, says that multitudes, crowds, were listening to what, this conversation. There were large crowds listening to this very conversation, it says in the book of Matthew. So Jesus answered in 20, uh, verse 24. Let's, let's read his answer. It's just always, it's, it's always so shocking. He doesn't even hesitate. He just immediately, 
any, I think any, I, certainly me, I, I would be going, uh, 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 and come up with some stupid answer. Jesus just nails it. He said, you're therefore greatly mistaken because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God. Uh, let me repeat that. Are you not therefore mistaken because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So what Jesus is saying that in heaven, there in heaven marriage will not continue. The Bible says there's at least two purposes for marriage. Husband's wife, I, 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 if you haven't heard this here, you, if you've been to Calvary Chapel, you've heard it, but you haven't been here for a long time, I have news for you. Your marriage is not about you. It is not about you. When marriages uh, become about the, the husband and the wife, they fail. The Bible says the purpose, there are at least two purposes of marriage, the principle of which is the marriage, the relationship between a husband and wife, and the love between them is a picture of the relationship of love that God has for his children and that for Jesus Christ has for the church. A beauty of a strong, vibrant Christian marriage draws people to God and makes them glorify God. That purpose doesn't exist in heaven because you're face to face with Jesus. First Corinthians chapter 13 says, now we see in a mirror dimly, then in heaven we'll see face to face. No longer a need to give people a picture of the love of God because in heaven they are going to have God himself. Oh, heaven come down. Jesus come, bring us to heaven. So everyone with me. So no longer a need for marriage in heaven. There is a second reason for marriage given in the Bible, and it's, it's what? Someone shout it out. What? Right, exactly. To have kids. Be fruitful, multiply. The first commandment given to man. And, uh, um, and so in heaven, no more kids. And so no marriage. What? What about Stephanie? I, what, what about my wife? I'm not going to be married to her anymore. Hey, look, these thoughts, anyone who's in a good marriage, this, 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 you got to process this. Come on. What, are you going to be walking by my wife? <laughs> you know, she walked by? I, I, no. I, I. Actually, my love for Stephanie in heaven will be greater love. An unhindered by sin, by flesh, the devil, the distraction to the world. It'll be a far greater love. It'll be a much more beautiful thing. We're not going to be missing earth on heaven. Absolutely not. And so let's move on. Notice by now, Jesus has answered. So at this point, Jesus has answered the question. He's answered the question. There's no need for him to continue at this point. 
These people now have their sandals stuck in their mouth. This is what, what we do oftentimes when we're arguing with God. At some point, we realize our shoe is in our mouth. It's like, why am I arguing with the Lord? But he continues. Why does he continue? Why does he, Calvary Chapel, why does he continue in the next verse? Because he loves them. Because Jesus loves these men. The Sermon of the Mount, Jesus says that you have heard it was that you should hate Love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. If you want to know what loving your enemies looks like, study the life of Jesus and study it again and again and again and again. You'll know how to love your enemies. If Jesus here did not love his enemies, he would have stopped right there. He would have stopped um, right after here, verse 25, but he does not. He does not. He doesn't stop because he loves them. He doesn't stop because, listen, Calvary Chapel, really, really important. These men here are in an indescribably dangerous place. He sees the flames. Jesus can see the flames of, of eternal judgment behind them. They're in an unbelievably dangerous place. He wanted to get them out of that place into the safest place in the world, also from Deuteronomy, over the everlasting arms of God. In the everlasting arms of God. That's where he wanted these men. That, so that's why he, he pushes on here, and, and the Lord does that. He just pushes on, he probes, he pushes on because, because perhaps the most dangerous place for someone, anyone to be in the city is, is filled with these people. There may even be a few of you here today. Denying the afterlife is a very dangerous place to be. Denying a judgment of God. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27 says this, it is appointed for men to die once. But after that, there is judgment. Hebrews chapter 6 calls the resurrection and the judgment the most basic teaching of Christianity. Literally, it says it's elementary school for Christianity. It says in Hebrews 6 verses 1 and 2, the elementary school, the elementary principles of Christ are, number one, repentance, meaning turning away from your life of sin and turning to God. Number two, faith towards God. Number three, the doctrine of baptism, being baptized. That's why um, we talk to people after they come to, the, come to God and to Jesus Christ and we say, okay, now it's time to be baptized. It's an important public representation of what happened to you uh, in private, in your heart. Uh, the laying on of hands, which has to do with the, the people, ec you exercising your gift. Every one of you has been given a gift by God and, and the laying on of hands is a way of the, the, the elders or the leader of the church saying, okay, uh, they lay your hands on, we don't necessarily do it literally, say, okay, no, but we pray for you, now go, um, use your gifts. But then it says, and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. This is elementary school Christianity. And to remain in a place where you're saying eternal judgment that's so ridiculous, that's so 
that's so old-fashioned, old, that's all just the old people or just the people, the primitive people believe that. To be in that place, I, I'm not going to be judged by a God or, or anything um, uh, uh, for anything I do. I'm not going to be judged after I die. Eternity is a long time. A long time. That song, Amazing Grace, says after 10,000 years, little bollock B, you haven't even started. And you're in a dangerous place if you haven't figured out my brother or my sister what's going to happen to you when you step into eternity. Jesus loves these men. He loves them infinitely more than any other human being had ever loved them. And so he presses on in verse 26. Let's read it. And he gives them more than they asked for, but they needed it. He says, concerning the dead, they rise. Have you not heard in the book of Moses, meaning Genesis through Deuteronomy is referred to as the book of Moses, first five books of the, of the Bible. Have you not read in the book of Moses in the burning bush passage how, Jesus, uh, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. You, therefore, are greatly mistaken. So important, scholars believe that the Sadducees only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament. They didn't believe in the prophets, or at least they did not believe the prophets, like you know Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel. They, they, they didn't believe they carried the same weight. They sort of believed them, but they didn't carry the same weight as the first five books of the Old Testament. And one thing that is true is that the prophets, if you read through the prophets, again, there's, David prophetically speaks in the Psalms, it's a lot about the afterlife in the Psalms and the rest of the prophets. There's a lot more in the prophets and the Psalms and the prophets about the afterlife than the first five books of the Bible. You see how they're just forming their belief system based upon what they want and don't want? They just, that's what people do. They just cut out Scripture. They, Thomas Jefferson, I, I, I'm very thankful for the man in many ways, for the Constitution that he helped write. But he created his own Bible. He literally cut out pages of the Bible that he didn't like and made his own Bible. And, and this, this is what people do. <laughs> but they had done it. And reduced to the, the prophets, which they talked about in the afterlife. Oh, no, 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 we've got to get rid of that. We've got to cut that page out of the Bible or make it something other than it really is. But Jesus, because he loves them, he works with their rebellion. Do you know he does that with you? He works in your rebellion. Even in your rebellion, he works with you. And he quotes from their, the book that they revered. It's the book of Exodus. 
the first five books. So in order to prove from Scripture that there's an afterlife, he, afterlife, he, he quotes Moses from Exodus chapter 3, where Moses says, or rather God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. In other words, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are living now. It doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so, God's living now. And, and, and so what Jesus does here, he knows that, that to these Sadducees, um, they, they, Abraham was a big-time dude. And he's calling them out of a life of idolatry and into a life where, 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 where God is real and there's an afterlife and, and, and a judgment. Abraham is called a friend of God uh, in the Old Testament. And God told Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 15, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. I'm a, I am your exceedingly great reward. And you think, Sadducees, that God who's eternal is going to call his friend, Abraham, his friend, and not call him into eternity? Sadducees, God's people are not like pieces of a chessboard like puppets, like toys. He loves them. He, they're his friends, and they're his, not his temporary friends. Calvary Chapel, you're not a temporary friend of God. You're an eternal friend of God. And he's saying to them, stop your foolishness, Sadducees. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He, he's, they, he is eternal, and there's a judgment. And you're in a very dangerous place right now. And so Jesus says in verse 27, he's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. You are greatly mistaken. Now again, Calvary Chapel, what caused the Sadducees to be greatly mistaken about the resurrection? What was it? Two things. Number one was what? Jesus said it. He gives two reasons why they were greatly mistaken. Number one was they don't know the scripture. Number two, they don't know the power of God. He gives these reasons in verse 24. They don't know the scripture. They don't know the power of God. And of course, there was another problem. They didn't want to believe this because if it was true, they were in big time trouble because of their rebellion against God. But the problem is that these men, um, the, the problem these men had was not that they did not know what the scriptures said. Do you understand that? It's not that they didn't know what the scriptures said because they had probably heard or even quoted this verse. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. A hundred times times. 
if not a thousand. They knew the words very well. The problem is they didn't know God. They, they, didn't, they didn't read the Bible because they loved God. That was their problem. They didn't read the Bible because they hungered and thirsted for God because they desperately needed God. They didn't read the Bible because they wanted God. They didn't read the Bible because they wanted to obey God. They didn't approach the reading of the word of God with the attitude, God, whatever you tell me, I'm gonna do it. Just tell me this morning, God, I'm, I'm feeling, I need you. I need you, I need you, God. Just tell me, I will do what you say. That's not how these men... That's, how, that's not how these men read the word of God. This is why riches, money can be an enormous danger. That, that, that's why the Bible has so much to say about us giving our money, back, the very first fruit of our money back to God because money has, will, 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 will make our hearts grow cold, so cold. We don't need God. We're not gonna read the Bible like we need God. Reading the Bible to them was a dead religious practice. Practice. How do you read the Bible? How do you read the Bible? Jesus says in verse 24 to them, you are mistaken because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Again, these Sadducees had read or heard or quoted that passage from Exodus Chapter 3, hundreds of times, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, but they did not know the passage. One of the most quoted passages in the Old Testament, they didn't know it. So what's one of the most quoted, what's the most quoted passage in the New Testament? Come on, you guys know it. John 3, 16. Let's turn there. Let's turn to John 3, 16. Anyone want, someone stand up and read it real loud. Let's just do something different. Someone stand up and read John 3.16, nice and loud. Before, before I call on you, there you go. All right, very good. Thank you, Lena. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know how often I'm talking to a person in this church? A person who clearly is, has a heart for God, who seeks God, who comes back to God. When they flop and fall down, they, they have a conviction. And they're wondering if they're going to heaven. They've quoted John 3.16 a hundred times. They know the words, but they don't know the passage. The Bible says, Calvary Chapel, your salvation is your helmet. In Ephesians 6, it says to battle the devil, put on the helmet of your salvation, meaning your salvation is secure. 
Now, I'm not talking to someone who practices a lifestyle of sin. Because if that's you, there, I, your, your, your salvation is not secure. If, if that's your lifestyle. That's just that's what the Bible says. But if when you fall on your face and you, and you come back to Jesus and say, I'm sorry, God, would, it, would you please help me? Would you please help me, Jesus? I'm so done with this. And you're crying out to God. Not in a posture of deep down inside knowing you're just going to go right back to the sin, but really crying out. John 3.16, is John 3.16 for you? If God so, loved the world, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Have you believed in him? Oh, yeah, I have, Pastor Steve. Well, then, you're going to heaven. You've got to seek the Lord, though. You've got to seek him. You've got to find him. He doesn't want you in this place. What kind of father would want his son or his daughter wondering whether they're his son or daughter? That's not the God of the Bible. Get to know John 3.16. You know the words. Would you please live them? Would you please know them? You see, Christians can quote the same verse hundreds of times, but they don't know the verse. Calvary Chapel, read your Bible to get to know God, not facts about him, to get to know him. To fall in love with him. If you don't have a hunger and thirst for, for, for God, to say, why, Lord, why do I not have a th hunger and thirst for your word, Lord? I don't have a th hunger and thirst for you. Ask him, ask him. Because that's a big problem, ask him. Ask him for a, a, a hunger and thirst for Read the Bible because you need the Bible, because you need God. Uh, the Sadducees, uh, they didn't need God. They, did, they, 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 they had false support structures of whatever, their family, their money, and other things that were preventing them from even needing God. Uh, read the Bible because you want God. Go to the Bible with a great desire to obey God. Go um, into the reading of the word with the attitude, whatever God, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. Jesus says to them, you're greatly mistaken because you don't know the scripture and you don't know the power of God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and, but if you can hang with me here, I want to talk about, just briefly, about that second part, the power of God. They didn't know the scripture. They didn't know the power of God. I want to read to you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verses 16 and 17, 1 Thessalonians, speaking of the rapture. Remember these guys, they didn't believe in an afterlife. They didn't believe in an afterlife and a judgment. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. So these Sadducees, uh, these they don't believe in an afterlife. And the problem, Jesus says, you don't believe in the power of God. 
First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 says, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up and t- together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. We will always be with the Lord. And then he says in verse 18, comfort one another with these words. That's a powerful God that does that. That's a real powerful God. <laughs> But you know something? They didn't believe that in a God who had the power to raise from the dead at some time in the future to bring his children um, into eternity um, with him. But that, but, but that reflected in their own personal life. A person who doesn't believe in the, what, the power of God and what he's going to do after a man or woman dies or in the rapture. It, 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 it winds up manifesting in their life right now. Do you believe in a God that of the living and not the dead, Calvary Chapel? Do you believe that? Because if you do, if you believe in a God that will bring his people to himself um, after death, in, in, in a place where, um, where, where there's no more pain, no more sorrow. We get a taste of it now. We say in the Lord's Prayer, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And boy, has he given us a piece of that abundant life. Now he really has that joy. But if, if you don't believe what God is going to do in the, in the future at a time where he's either going to rapture you and take you up or he's going to bring you after death into his ever, everlasting arms, let me tell you, that's going to affect big time who you are right now. If God is that small to you, you're going to have a shriveled up, joyless, depressed life. God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living, and he wants to pour life into you. Why don't we um, rise for the closing worship song? If you've been asked to, uh, if you've been asked to uh, pray as a prayer group, would you, would you come up? And I just want to ask you to come up if you would like a more vibrant life in the Word of God reading the word of God more of a thirst for it would you come up so that we can pray for you if you've been asked to pray if you can please come up at this time if something is stirred in your heart during the message that really makes you want to just again have someone put their hand on you and pray for for you If you struggle with the idea of, uh, of life after death and, and, and a judgment, come up. We'll pray for you. And if you have never, if you've been keeping Jesus as a, as a, at a safe distance, stop it. Come up and I'll pray with you. I'll be up here or, or one of the other folks, I'll pray with you 
for a change in that in which you say, Jesus, stop. <laughs> Rather, I'm stopping. I, I no longer do, do I want you at a distance. I want you in my life and I want you as the Lord of my life. I don't want to be like a Sadducee. I want to give you control, complete control. I want to repent. I realize I'm a sinner. I realize I've been ripping people off and you off, Lord. I want to make you... Jesus, Lord and King, come up. We can pray to you about that or with you regarding that too. Father, I just thank you in Jesus' name for your word. Please continue this work, Lord, that you have so graciously started. In Jesus' name.